Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for tuning in to the Kennedy Show, the best in pro wrestling talk. Hope you're all having a great Sunday evening as we get set to give you the best in pro wrestling talk on this giant edition of the Kennedy Show. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Kennedy Show. Again, that's facebook.com slash the Kennedy Show. Head on over there. Join us in our conversations. We're going to have a show chat going on this show tonight. So if you can't call us and you want your voice heard, get on the Facebook page and tell us what you're thinking about the show. Maybe if it's if it's intriguing, if it's interesting enough, we'll read it on the air. So, again, that is Facebook.com slash The Ken Reedy Show. You can check us out on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at The Ken Reedy Show. Again, our Twitter handle is at The Ken Reedy Show. You can also uh, check us out on our website, thekenreedyshow.com. Again, thekenreedyshow.com. If you're listening to us pre-recorded at this time, you're listening to us on the wonderful B-plus players radio network. Again, the B-plus players radio network. Brain child of Mark Adam Haggerty. One of the great shows over there on the network. So check us out there. Check us out live. Give us a call. 347-838-9815 is the number to call. As tonight, we have another special edition of the Kennedy Show that um, was inspired by some Tragic news this week as we learned of the passing of the legendary Vader. Um, Rest in peace. Uh, Condolences to all friends and family. Um, So we're going to get into talking about uh, his greatness, his contributions to pro wrestling, uh, his career. Um, And we're also just going to talk about uh, best big men uh, in history, who used the giant gimmick best, who used it maybe not so good going to get into that so we're going to go back in time back in history and we're going to pay respects and tribute to the man known as vader as well as talking about all the giants in the history of pro wrestling with so much to get into would not be able to make heads or tails out of all of this without my tag team partner who's on the line all the way from connecticut dave how you doing this evening 
Thank you very much. I'm doing quite well. Looking forward to uh, discussing the the uh, the Giants and the history of wrestling, the big men, the, the some of our favorites, some of our not so favorites. Uh, you know, you know me. I'm a history buff when it comes to pro wrestling. So uh, let's get right into it. And let's and you know again some some sad news obviously this week with the passing of the the legendary vader big van vader um a legendary figure in the world of pro wrestling a guy who is definitely one of the consummate big men uh passing away way too young at the age of 63 um you know and and, uh we would be remiss here on the show if we did not pay tribute to uh a guy of, of this magnitude a guy who was um, again, the consummate big man, a very intimidating figure in the world of pro wrestling. Um, I will say from personal experience, uh, I was on a show where I was ring announcing and Vader was on the show and, uh, yeah, that was a big dude. Uh, Vader was a big guy, um, a guy who, um, many accomplishments in the world of pro wrestling, uh, new Japan, the IWGP heavyweight championship. He won the WCW heavyweight championship. Um, you know, a guy who, for my money, deserves uh, his chance, his place, uh, not only the WWE Hall of Fame, uh, but any wrestling Hall of Fame that happens to be out there. To me, he is a Hall of Famer. It's shocking that uh, he was not inducted. Um, you know, hopefully his name will be there soon. It would have been nice if this happened while he was living. Um, you know, Dave, interesting career, a, a great career. Uh, a guy who was able to uh, use just that giant gimmick and that that um, just uh, stature of, of intimidation so effectively, uh, you know, while in the WWE, you know, when you heard his theme hit, it's Vader time. Uh, you knew uh, this was going to be able to pick, was going to pick up. Um, again, definitely an all-time great. Uh, but did not get the, the run maybe he should have in, in the WWE, WWF. Uh, Dave, your thoughts on uh, the life, the career of one Vader? Vader was, uh, for me, probably one of the most, as a kid watching, probably one of the most intimidating figures on my television screen uh, as, as a wrestling fan. Um, Vader was, he, I wouldn't say he redefined the big man, but Vader added another dimension to the the big man moniker in pro wrestling. He beat you up like he was a big he moved around that ring like he was a small like smaller than his weight. Vader you know sometimes tipped the scales at 430 420 you know 450 pounds, excuse me. And but he moved around like he was I wouldn't say a cruiserweight because I think that might be a little too, you know, uh you know overdoing it so to speak but he definitely moved around not you know the way a 450 pound man should move around in a ring but that was what gravitated people to watch him was his ability to do a moonsault off the top rope or it, it as far as I'm concerned and I could be wrong but Vader is the first person to ever use the power bomb move I thought the power bomb was the greatest move in the history of wrestling it's like the DDT for me. And now, you know, people use the power bomb, you know, in, in just about every single match. You know, everyone uses the power bomb. But to me, Vader was the first guy I ever witnessed use the power bomb. And it was just so devastating the way he picked you up and he just he, he rocked you, you know, right in the center of the ring. Um, 
yeah, he was just one of those guys that, like, you knew he was a big guy, but when he got in the ring, you you watched him, and he didn't seem like he moved around like a big guy, but that was the appeal to him. And, of course, you know, his uh, his his, uh, his physical stature, big guy, 450 pounds, his look, when he had that helmet on with the smoke that came out. I mean, truly a uh, uh, quite the character in the world of professional wrestling. You made mention of it. His run in uh, the WWF, um, I, like I said, I watched him in his days in WCW, his matches with Sting. I'll tell you a quick story. I kind of alluded it to you on our pre-show. Uh, my first, the, the first real moment where I saw Vader as like someone that like was like a force in wrestling as a kid was on an episode of WCW Saturday Night. Vader and Cactus Jack had a match, and they used to wrestle at the, uh, the Center Stage Theater in Atlanta. It was a small little theater. And at the time, I believe this was when Bill Watts was running the company. And around the ring, there was no mat. Guys got thrown over the top rope. They hit the floor. They, it was, they were on concrete floor. And I don't remember exactly what led to this, issue, what, what led to this situation because it was so long ago. But all I remember is at some point, I think this was towards the end of the match, um, Vader just picked up Cactus and he powerbombed him so hard that, like, I could feel the thud from Cactus's head hitting the floor in my chest while I was watching it on TV. And you saw paramedics, you saw referees come out, and, you know, the, the, the look on, on the fans' faces, the way that it was produced and the way the cameras were shooting it, I really thought something serious happened to him. Like, I knew it at 10 years old, like, that stuff is make-believe, but I at that, at that time I thought, holy cow, like, something really happened to Cactus Jack. And I, that was the moment where I was like, Vader is the baddest dude going around. Nobody can mess with Vader. Nobody. And I guess you could say that was a point in time where I became a bigger fan of Vader. Um, but, yeah, a guy gone way too soon. Very underrated for a big man. There's a lot of big men in the history of this business that we'll get into tonight uh, that, that, that made you know positive and solid contributions. But Vader doesn't get recognized enough, in my opinion. And I'm not saying that because he's passed, but it's the truth. I mean, people talked about it. He should have been in the Hall of Fame a long time ago and uh, when he was living. And, unfortunately, his, you know, his Hall of Fame induction will come and he won't be here for it. But um, a guy who definitely inspired many big men today and is very underrated for his contributions to the industry. Rest in peace, Big Van Vader. Yeah, I mean, his style is, you know, almost, you know, when you look at the big men in history and, and you know, we're going to have a lot of fun with, with looking back and uh, – you know, he reminds me a little bit of, of, of Bam Bam Bigelow, you know, a guy who, you know, kind of had that, that big man gimmick, but moved uh, in the ring, unlike most other big men. And, and the thing with Vader that I, I give him over Bam Bam is just everything was impactful, which, you know, at times uh, for me, I think is missing in, in today's game. Um you know, whatever spots Vader was going to attempt and pull off in his matches uh, always seemed impactful, always looked devastating. Um, he was just a, a very powerful character, a very powerful presence um, in that ring that was just, you know, whenever uh, he was around, you knew a devastation was, was going to follow. Um, you know, a guy who... Had a very, uh, you know, substantial, lengthy career. A guy who, you know, honestly had some crossover appeal. Uh, a reoccurring role in Boy Meets World uh, for a few years there. So a guy who, 
you know, at least dipped his toe in the world of, of acting. Um, but a guy who, you know, for whatever reason, just doesn't seem to get the, the notoriety when people look back in history um, and look at all-time greats. And, you know, it's one of those things that in the world of pro wrestling, it is what it is. And, he, and even for me as a fan, you know, the, the problem, nothing is ever as impactful unless you live through it. And for me as a fan, a lot of my stuff that I've seen with Vader – uh, going back into WCW and, uh, uh, you know, the classic match in Japan with Stan Hansen when uh, his eyeball was popped out of the socket. I mean, and he popped it back in. Um, you know, it, it's like most of that stuff I've gone back and watched as an adult. I grew up pretty much primarily a, a WWF fan. I mean, that was what I watched. That's That was primarily, uh, you know, I was in the Northeast Territory and that's uh, primarily what I watched. So a lot of the great stuff from Vader, I, I had to go back and watch um, over the years because as, as a WWF fan, um, you know, you come away uh, from, you know, Vader's career as, as looking at him as a, a very good mid-carder. Uh, but it's insane, you know, Dave, as, as we're getting ready for this show and, you know, doing some research and, and looking up, um, you know, stuff on Vader and, and, you know, and I'm, I'm looking, you know, obviously, if I pull up his Wikipedia, look up some of the stuff he's, he's got, you you're, you see, you know, New Japan Heavyweight Championship three times, and WCW Heavyweight Champion three times, and WCW United States Champion one time, and, you know, a five-star match award from the Wrestling Observer, Beck Heel in 1993, Wrestler of the Year in 1993. And you're going through all these achievements of this just wonderful career that this man had. And then you, you're scrolling down and, and you get to World Wrestling Federation and it's Slammy Award for Crime of the Century, 1996, Assault on WWF President Gorilla Monsoon. Um, it, it's just amazing that, you know, you look at this man's career top to bottom. He is an all-time great. Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Wrestler of the Year, 1993. You know, this this guy is an all-time great who had a wonderful career in the world of pro wrestling. Later in his career, uh, got, got out there on the independent circuit. So a guy that deserves all the accolades, all the Hall of Fame uh, inductions that, that could be thrown his way. And I just find it really intriguing. And again, Dave, you are the resident historian. You are you're far more informed than I am. I just find it staggering, even being a WWF fan, you know, just thinking in your head, oh, there must be something else that, that Vader won in the WWF. I mean, there must have been something. And to look at that and think, wow, that was it? He's got a Slammy Award? Um, and perhaps that's the reason the WWF has not put him in the Hall of Fame. But to me, the doors have been open. You put Sting in the WWF Hall of Fame. You've opened the doors for guys that have not had their best moments in the WWE, that they've had their best moments in other promotions. Vader's a guy who belongs there. For me, Dave, absolutely shocked that when I look at his career in the WWF, that's his lone accolade. Yeah, it is. I mean, as a kid watching, you know, when he came to the WWF, I was so excited. I couldn't wait for the matchups with Razor Ramon, Bret Hart, Undertaker, Diesel, uh, you know, and then Shawn Michaels, which I'll get into in a minute. Um, his run in the WWF was very disappointing at that time. I was, uh, I was, I was 
thoroughly disappointed knowing what he was capable of doing and what he had done in, uh, in, in WCW and even in some of the stuff in Japan that I had heard of at that time in 96, um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of footage out there of, uh, you know, the stuff Vader did in Japan, but nonetheless, uh, I brought him up. If you want to thank someone for Vader's unsuccessful run in the WWF, I've watched countless shoot interviews. I've heard countless stories. I've done some research on this. You can thank Shawn Michaels for Vader's unsuccessful run in the WWF. Um, You know, according to many reports, many accounts when this took place, uh, Vader's Vader was slated to be the WWF champion. He was slated to have a run with the title and, um, they were building him up for quite some time. The Gorilla Monsoon attack at the beginning of 96 was part of it, and they just kept building and building and building um, until they brought him to Shawn Michaels. And the story I heard was, was in their 1996 SummerSlam match, Vader missed a spot or he was supposed to move out of the way from an elbow drop, and Michaels in midair stops and yells at Vader and tells him to move and calls him an asshole, and then he kicks him in the face. And the and then they go about the match. Vader gets a little rough with him, but um, for the most part, you know, Michaels just kind of like tore into him in front of every in front of a, you know the, the entire arena on pay per view. And so uh, Vader and Michaels uh, they continue the match, and the finish of the match was was that Michaels couldn't beat Vader. Um, he had gotten himself counted out to keep the title and Cornette said, Nope, you're going to restart the match. Then he got himself disqualified to, to, to keep the title. And Cornette said, no, you're going to start the match. Jim Cornette, his manager, just for those of you who are catching up. And uh, then I think finally the third time Michaels won, it was like a no disqualification stipulation. He finally won at the last minute. And that finish was the premise to set up Vader and Shawn Michaels at the 1996 survivor series. Well, after the SummerSlam match and Vader allegedly roughing Michaels up a little too much during that match and then subsequent matches at house shows, Michaels bitched and complained to management and Vader Survivor Series, and that's when they put Sid in. Originally, Vader was supposed to win the title that night in the Garden, and then they were going to do the big rematch in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome in front of Shawn Michaels' hometown, and that didn't happen, obviously. Sid had that, that spot. But it seems like after that Vader kind of had like an up and down roller coaster kind of existence. Um, you know, rivalries with undertaker, uh, rivalry with Kane. Um, I honestly thought that Vader could have been like a good, like monster heel for Vince and the, and the corporation, uh, in his battle with like stone cold during the attitude era. Um, I really thought that like an association with Vince would have really kind of helped boost Vader. But at that point, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was, uh, Vader's run was over at that point, And he just didn't really, you know, seem to catch a break. Um, I think some injuries alluded to that as well. He just wasn't the same performer in the ring at that time. But um, unfortunately the, 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 the bad part of Vader's run began at, at his time with uh, Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam. But yeah, you know, I, I don't necessarily remember 
when I look back at Vader, I always look back at the WCW stuff, the positive things he did, the stuff that I remembered watching. Like I said, his matches with Sting, Cactus Jack, even some a couple of his matches with Hogan. The match he had with Hogan inside of a steel cage at Bash at the Beach, on the beach at Venice Beach, California. I thought that was pretty cool as a kid. So I don't really like to harp too much on the WWF stuff because it was unfortunately, it just, he didn't really attain the level of success that he was capable of like he did in WCW. So that's just my take on Vader um, comparing his two runs and how unfortunate, but definitely Ken, I know I really had a a long roundabout way of answering this, but uh, for sure, before he went to the WWF, if he never went to the WWF and all the stuff he did in WCW and none of that happened, he would definitely be in the hall of fame for his accomplishments alone and what he contributed to the business and how he, like I said, not defined, the, the, the role of a big man, but added another layer and a dimension to the big man moniker in wrestling. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, just purely like speculating. I mean, do, do you, I mean, do you ever think of like why that could be, why he's not in the hall of fame? Do you think it's purely because his career in the WWE wasn't anything to write home about? Do you think, uh, the Shawn Michaels stuff that, that there's bad blood somewhere with, within the front offices. You think it's like just an oversight, you know, there's, there's guys that you look at and, and you know, in the WWE, you know, every year when they have the, these hall of fame inductions and, and there have been, you know, there have been guys that, that you debate. I mean, there's, there's no question about it. You know, when, when Coco beware, uh, the bushwhackers, and I know that's, that's the stable. That's the thing that when the, the WWE Hall of Fame comes up. It's like you always got to bring out, bring up the Coco factor. But there, there have been guys, you know, over the course of the years that fans, uh, as well as like experts and, and even people talking about the celebrity wing, you know, debate whether said individual deserves a Hall of Fame induction. And I know for like our show and our purposes, you know, who the hell am I? Who the hell are you to, to say whether someone deserves to be? in the hall of fame or not. But to me, when I look at the WWE hall of fame and I look at the guys who have been debated and also you could look at, if you want to say WWE hall of fame, you could debate sting. Um, But since things in other guys are in, you know, when I look at a guy like Vader and him not being in the hall of fame, I just look at him as a guy like nobody's going to debate that, you know, the, the name comes down you know, this year, WWE Hall of Fame inductee, Vader, and they do the highlight video, I don't think you're going to have one fan, one prognosticator, one radio host out there saying, oh, my God, come on, Vader doesn't belong. And and when I look at that, I mean, maybe you don't look at Vader as, like, that quote-unquote first ballot Hall of Famer, and I don't even know what the hell that means in pro wrestling. Um, Mean shit. Yeah, okay, there you go. So, I mean, I mean, maybe it means like edge, like you retire and then the next year you go in. How many guys have actually gotten to do that? I, I just think to me, like, nobody's debating Vader. There's no debate there. You, over the past, like, decade, if you heard Vader's going into the WWE Hall of Fame, I think, number one, there's two reactions that mo- that almost all fans would, would, would have. They would either have the, it's about goddamn time, or... Yay, congratulations, I'm so happy for him. I, I think he's a no-brainer, and, and I just find it, and, and this is purely speculating. I, I just sit here wondering, 
how a guy like that has been overlooked so many for so many years when other guys have gotten it. I mean, same category as a lot of guys that we have discussed over the years as to why they are in the Hall of Fame. And everyone's got different reasons behind it. Um, you know, we've talked about it before. Uh, I think on this show, uh, there wouldn't be a Hall of Fame without a Randy Savage, a Bob Backlund, and a Bruno Sammartino, and all three of those guys are in. Um, and each one of them had their own different reasons as to why they weren't in the Hall of Fame, uh, both from their side and from, you know, WWE's side. Uh, as far as, like, you know, speculation on any bad blood, as far as I know, there wasn't. I, I, I've i heard that, you know, Vader and Michaels had kind of patched things up. Vader had done some stuff on WWE Network. He was on a couple of those table for threes. Uh, he inducted Stan Hansen into the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. It's funny that, you know, you, you, you bring up the Hall of Fame talk. I remember when I was watching that ceremony that night, and I w- you go to WrestleMania every year with Michelle and, and my brothers, they go. And I texted one of my brothers, and Vader took his coat off, and he, like, did the, 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 the taunt, like, at the end of the stage and held up the hand and did the Vader, like, the hand signal. And, like, the place kind of popped. And I had sent a text to my brother. I was like, yeah, he's really angling for another run or a Hall of Fame induction. And my brother said, after that, he's probably not going to get one. And I was, I was reading a transcript from uh, X-Pac's uh, podcast, uh, 12360. And x talked about Vader and how, you know, he's, you know, long, it should have been in the Hall of Fame a long time ago, but I believe it was Vader and maybe some people on behalf of Vader who had pushed really hard for him to get into the Hall of Fame to WWE. And it's one of those things, like, if you push too hard, it kind of works against you. But it doesn't mean that you're completely out of the equation. I think they wanted to put him in. I just think there's so many people that they could, that, that, that they could put in. You know, you can't please everyone every year. Um, and I feel like uh, Vader going in next year – I could see it happening at the same time. I also heard a rumor that um, Bam Bam Bigelow could be going in next year because WrestleMania is going to be in New Jersey and he's from that area. And you kind of got to pick one because I don't think they're going to put two people who have passed away in the same year in the hall of fame. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Vader doesn't get in this year, but at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me if he does get in either. Uh, So time will tell, but he's definitely a, 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 first ballot Hall of Famer or whatever you want to call it, but there's no denying. I don't. I think across the board, everyone has said, you know, between fans and colleagues and people that are in the business have said he definitely should be in the, definitely should be in the Hall of Fame. There's no argument there. But as far as bad blood goes, I don't think there's bad blood. I think maybe he just, before he passed away, I think he just kind of pushed too hard. As a matter of fact, now that, he, now that I think about it, when he announced that he only had two years left to live after his doctor told him about his issues with his heart, he did start some campaign of, so, of sorts on social media, um, you know, tagging WWE it, on, on his Twitter handle to put him in the Hall of Fame before he passed away. So, I mean, I think it was one of those things where he pushed so hard that it just kind of turned them off at the time being. But he, he'll definitely get in at some point. It may not be next year, but at some point in the near future, next couple of years, Vader's going in. And I would agree. It's, you know, it is just a shame that, you know, guys like this, uh, you know, guys who are all time greats, you know, wind up being uh, inducted posthumously. Um, 
it's just a shame, you know, this is a guy who uh, deserves to deserve to be inducted in his lifetime. So he'd get up there and uh, receive that award. So, um, but hopefully he does get in again to me. He's a no brainer. Uh, he should be in the hall of fame. Um, and hopefully if not this, this upcoming year, but, but sometime soon, you want to talk about Vader, give us a call. Three, four, seven, eight, three, eight, nine, eight, one, five is the number to call. Um, and we're going to get into the great big men in, in pro wrestling history. We're continuing to pay tribute to the man known as Vader. And again, uh, our thoughts are with all family and friends, condolences to the family, uh, rest in peace, Vader. And um, we're going to get into the history of big men and just have a little bit of fun, all inspired by the great Vader. So we're going to get into it on the other side of the break. But right now it is time for the Day 5 50-50 News Report. And good evening. Welcome to another edition of the Day 5 50-50 News Report. Only heard right here at the Ken Reedy Show, the best in pro wrestling talk. Now, where is it you can tune in to listen to this show if you're not tuning in live on blogtalkradio.com right now? Well, head on over to B-Plus Players Radio to be a part of this ever-growing Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find B-Plus on social media at Facebook and Twitter by searching, liking, and following to get your hands on previous episodes of this show, as well as other great pro wrestling-related podcasts and not-so-pro wrestling-related podcasts that B-Plus has to offer. If you happen to miss the live airing of this show, then wait about an hour, head over to iTunes where you can download this show and it will drop faster than Mark Adam Haggerty's story, or, excuse me, Mark Adam Haggerty's life story on social media. Mark is the engineer that steers the ship here at B+, for those of you who care to know. Don't wait any longer, subscribe right now. But first, here are this week's top stories. A variation of this discussion that was formulated on this show a few weeks ago, almost became a reality recently, as it was rumored that Ring of Honor was allegedly scheduled to run a show at the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden in New York City in 2019. Several reports in the land of the dirt sheets have stated that MSG was looking to broaden their horizons in the pro wrestling department by allowing Ring of Honor to run the garden since WWE had snubbed them from Mania Weekend festivities in 2019. In an update following that, Ring of Honor CEO Joe Koff revealed in a recent interview that the Garden has pulled back from their agreement due to communications from WWE. Allegedly, WWE management was none too pleased Madison Square Garden would allow another wrestling company inside the hallowed halls of MSG. According to reports, a high-ranking WWE official not named Vince McMahon made a few phone calls to the brass at the Garden and put a stop to Ring of Honor's debut. If Ring of Honor were to run the Garden, the date would have been the night before WrestleMania 35 in 2019. Koff would go on to state that his legal team would be looking into this matter further and indicated that legal action could be pending. There is, however, still a chance that Ring of Honor may run the smaller theater venue inside Madison Square Garden, but that is unknown at this time. According to the Wrestling Observer, WWE has begun a working agreement with Japanese pro- promotion Pro Wrestling Noah. Details are sketchy at this time, but 205 Live star Hideo Itami will be working for Noah on August the 29th. 
This would be the first time since the early 90s that WWE would be involved in a working relationship with a top Japanese wrestling promotion. Cody Rhodes announced this week that in some form or fashion, the highly anticipated sold-out all-in event emanating from the Sears Center in Chicago, Illinois, on September the 1st will be broadcast for all to witness. Limited details are unavailable at this time, and it's not clear if this show will be available on major streaming services or traditional pay-per-view. What I can tell you is that New Japan Pro Wrestling English color commentator and co-executive vice president of Impact Wrestling, Don Callis, We'll be calling the action at All In. His broadcast partner is yet to be named at this time. In relation to All In, several names have been announced to be part of this historic event. One half of the Golden Lovers, Kota Ibushi, will be in action. And the official referees for the evening were announced recently, with notable names such as former ECW World Heavyweight Champion Jerry Lynn and the father and son duo of Earl and Brian Hebner donning the zebras on the 1st of September. My fourth story this week, while on the subject of All In, several reports have surfaced that allegedly in the coming months, WWE is preparing to make a big offer to the elite IWGP World Heavyweight Champion Kenny Omega and All In co-founders, the Young Bucks, whose contracts with both New Japan Pro Wrestling and Ring of Honor respectively expire at the start of the new year. Omega and the Bucks were part of the major E3 video game convention recently where they took on the WWE's New Day in a Street Fighter video game tournament final. Omega and the Bucks' likenesses have been all over WWE's social media accounts and even WWE Network with footage in the Hidden Gems section of a Kenny Omega match from the former WWE developmental territory, Deep South Wrestling. The most interesting part of this story is that New Day made a cameo on an episode of the popular YouTube series, Being the Elite, the series which chronicles Omega and the Bucks and their adventures traveling the world together in the wrestling business. In this particular episode, both New Day and the Elite hinted at a possible match between both teams, even hinting that may occur in a WWE ring. Another interesting part of this occurrence is that normally, WWE does not allow its performance to be a part of presentations such as this involving their competition. Many speculating this may be a sign that WWE allowed for this to take place as a way to open the door between both sides when it comes time to negotiate a possible deal in which the Elite were to become WWE superstars. The popular trio has made a major mark on the business outside of WWE, with growing popularity resulting licensing and endorsement deals, even going as far as to say that they are completely content not working for WWE. However, with the pending new television deals and the big bucks, Fox and NBC Universal are throwing WWE's way, it would be hard for the elite to turn down big money from them. Only time will tell as to where the future of the elite lies in professional wrestling. And in our final story this week, or should I say story, as the WWE Network and the WWE in general look to be very busy in the coming months when it comes to cranking out new and original content. First and foremost this week, WWE announced that they will be televising the Super Showdown from Melbourne, Australia on October the 6th, live on the WWE Network. Already signed is the last ever encounter between Triple H and The Undertaker, according to WWE. Other big names set to appear include Roman Reigns, AJ Styles, New Day, Braun Strowman, Shinsuke Nakamura, Charlotte, Ronda Rousey, John Cena, and Shawn Michaels, who is rumored to be officiating a match in a guest referee capacity. Possibly the Undertaker-Triple H match. Maybe end of an era, too. Yeah, that will really rile up the internet. 
Currently, ringside tickets for this event go for over $1,000 in American currency. Later in the week, it was announced courtesy of Triple H in front of a capacity crowd from the Royal Albert Hall in London, England, during a taping for a WWE Network United Kingdom special that the much-talked-about UK brand will be taping in the coming months and will be known as NXT UK. The brand will feature the current UK championship as well as a women's NXT UK title and a tag team NXT UK title. If that wasn't enough, the company announced the return of the second annual May Young Classic. The tournament will emanate from the home of NXT, Full Sail University. On episodes of the 32-woman tournament will be available on demand shortly after they begin taping. And rounding out WWE Network news this week, the Wrestling Observer is reporting that WWE Network is looking into developing either a series or a one-time special highlighting talents not currently signed to the organization and their journey within the industry to get to WWE. Promotions such as WWN, Progress Wrestling, and ICW, not to be confused with IWC, who all have working relationships with the WWE, are rumored to be a part of the project. There you have it. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Day 5 50 News Report. Check back here next time for more informative news that lives up to the standards I've set here at the Ken Reedy Show. More pro wrestling talk is on the way, so let's send it back to you, Ken. Great stuff, as always, keeping the, the masses informed on all the goings-ons in the world of pro wrestling and inspired by the legendary Vader, we thought tonight, as we take another step into history, because um, we're just enjoying talking about history more than the current product lately, so we're going to keep that trend going. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the big men in, in the world of pro wrestling. And, uh, you know, I think, Dave, like when, when obviously when you, you talk about big guys, giants, uh, if you will, um, you know, it, it kind of starts, I should say it starts and ends, but, uh, you know, obviously Andre the Giant comes to mind. Um, but to your point, you know, when you talked about Vader, um, you know, Vader was a guy who wrestled a much different style than your typical big man. Um, when you look at guys like Andre the Giant, uh, a Yoko Zunu, um, you know, guys like that, that really had that consummate uh, big man style. But for me, as, as, a, as a wrestling fan, I was always, and it makes it tough as a fan now, I was always enamored by those larger-than-life kind of characters and those big men and, and just the, the, the power, uh, just freaks of nature. And, you know, some of these guys, like when you see them, like I said, when I was on a show and, uh, you know, was standing next to Vader and just, you know, like this guy could crush me like a, a twig, you know, if you wanted to. And, you know, that stuff's always been amazing to me because I'm not a small guy. Um, although when I hang out with the Rosenblutz, it does look like I'm standing in a hole. Um, but you, Dave, you're not, you're not a small guy either. And, and some of these giants, like, they're just so larger than life. Um, you know, I remember going to a show once and um, having seats pretty close to the ramp. And, you know, Big Show came down, and Big Show was a guy, like, you know, definitely an all-time great big man. But I expected him to be freakishly big, so it wasn't as awe-inspiring when I saw him up close. But then Kane came down, and Kane's arms were like the size of my thighs. Uh, and I remember just being so struck with how big Kane was. Another guy who does does the big man gimmick. So, I mean, throughout history, there have been so many different giants, guys who did it well, 
guys like The Undertaker, Kane, Andre the Giant, Yokozunu, Vader, Bam Bam Bigelow. Then we'll have some fun with some of the guys who maybe didn't do it so well. But to me, you know, and even looking at today, a Braun Strowman, um, you know, that to me, when it comes to pro wrestling, when it comes to being a fan, it, it's all fine and good that you can do 17 flips off the top rope. And I, and I admire that athleticism. However, to me, when it comes to pro wrestling, it's those larger than life superheroes, those those human beings that you'll never see the likeness of them anywhere on the streets, you know, that you will, you know, if you bumped into Andre the Giant, you knew you're bumping into Andre the Giant. I've been at a bar with Rey Mysterio and he just kind of walked by me and I was like, hey, wait a minute, is that, I don't know. And there's something about those big guys that just, when you're in their presence that uh, there's just something superhuman. So as we get into it, Dave, there's so many guys over the, over the course of history that, that use the big man's gimmick, and we'll talk about the greats, not so greats, but to me, Andre, it starts with him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Andre the Giant defined uh, a, a big man, you know, in the early days of uh, professional wrestling. I mean, Andre the Giant was an epitome of a big man. He was an attraction. He was a, like a freak show circus. We watched the, the, the HBO documentary on him and how he basically went from territory to territory and showed off his freakish strength and his ability to beat seven guys in a match or even win a battle royal with about 19 or 20 other guys. And he was definitely the, um, he was the blueprint for giants in the history of wrestling. And of course, over time, just like anything else, it had evolved and it had changed in many different ways as to what you saw and what the criteria was for a big man. Um, like you, I was definitely awe-inspired by the Giants, um, but at the same time, I was also awe-inspired by the athleticism from some of the smaller guys as well. So I've, I've always said this on the show, and I'll say it till the day I die. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm very much into variety for wrestling, and wrestling is the ultimate variety show, in my opinion. And I like just oh. about all of it. Not saying that you didn't, and not, and not saying that you don't by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I, the, the, the big men, yes, they became, they were more noticeable because of their size, because they weren't an average sized person on your television screen. Yeah. And, and honestly, what I'm saying is like, that's kind of what hooked me, you know, that's really what brought me in. And I always found it intriguing, like some of the big guys, you know, like, like going back and you had the, the big rivalry between, you know, Andre and big John stud. And I always found it fascinating that the, the quote unquote, giant gimmick the the big man gimmick where you know I, when you look at a guy like big john stud who definitely used that kind of that kind of giant gimmick the big man gimmick and, and then you look at a guy like hulk hogan who really didn't didn't use necessarily that quote unquote giant gimmick um in fact the amount of times he, he teamed up with you know andre like hulk hogan was the smaller quicker guy in that tag team I always found it intriguing. I remember as a kid, it jumping out at me, seeing Hogan one-on-one with Big John Studd and saying, and looking at them thinking, wow, they're, they're almost the same height. And for whatever reason, when they were separated, it just seemed to me that Big John Studd was bigger because he was using that big man gimmick. And I always found it intriguing, like certain guys who were, you know, big guys, who, like a, a Hogan, 
even a guy like Hillbilly Jim or uh, Scott Hall, who was always with Diesel. Scott Hall's a big dude. The Rock, who was like 6'5", who, who never quite used the, the big man gimmick, but they were big dudes. And then other guys that definitely did use the big man gimmick, some great, some not so great. Um, you know, again, I mentioned Kevin Nash. You know, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall together. So Scott Hall is obviously the small guy uh, when you're looking at the outsiders. Um, but but it's interesting how, you know, when you look at there's – a, there's a ton of big men in pro wrestling, but there's a difference between being just a big guy and, and really using that big man gimmick. And like I said, I think it, it begins and ends with Andre – uh, guys like Bam Bam, guys like uh, Vader, definitely on there. Uh, a King Kong Bundy. Um, so, so lots of guys that, that use that that giant gimmick. Um, have you ever like? Has it ever struck you, Dave, when you look at like certain guys that were were big? That may, I mean, Hogan could have come in, and Hogan could have been a, a big John Stud type, um, but he really wasn't. Uh, you know, Hillbilly Jim was a big guy, but I don't remember him ever like really using like that. The, the, the giant moniker being, I mean, he went against Bundy in that crazy tag in WrestleMania three, but just never got that sense of like, Oh, he's using the big man moniker. So there's definitely subtlety there from guys who use like the giant quote unquote gimmick, as opposed to guys who are just big guys. Um, I don't know. And I kind of lost my train of thought. But anyway, your thoughts like Dave on guys that really were the consummate giants of pro wrestling. Um, I mean, you know, you brought up like King Kong Bundy, Big John Studd, uh, you know, the names like that. You, you compare them to like a Hogan. You want to know, I'm glad you brought that up because you want to, you want to know something interesting. And I don't know, you may know this, but being, being a big Hogan mark that you are, when Hogan first started in the business, especially when I think it was like, or in his early days, before he made it big, before he even got the uh the, the role of Thunderlips. He was um he was categorized as like a big man. He'd do handicap matches against guys like in the AWA or it in uh the 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 WWF when Classy Freddie Blassie was managing him. They built him up like a big guy. Um and and he worked the big man for a short period of time until he eventually left to go do the movie and then we know the the whole story he came back, Hulkamania was born, the rest is history. But Hogan originally started as a big man, but, you know, obviously when I was younger watching and seeing like someone like a Hogan up against a Bundy or Hogan up against a, uh, a big John stud, I never looked at them or as Hogan or like you said, Hillbilly Jim either as like big guys. I looked at them as like average guys trying to beat the giant or slightly above average guys trying to beat the giant. Um, which, which brings me to, and you've told this story before on this show, of our interaction with Mark Henry inside the bar at, you know, <laughs> at WrestleMania in Atlanta a few years ago. I didn't realize how big he was, like in terms of height. I thought I was taller than Mark Henry. And Mark Henry's a good 6'5". Six, six, uh, yeah, 6'5", maybe. No, not 6'6". Six, six. I'd say 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, and when I stood next to him and I, you were there too, I was like, I didn't realize how big that bastard was. I was like, holy cow. So, you know, the guys that, that – there are guys that really use the giant gimmick so well, but then there are also guys that don't portray themselves as giants, but up close looking at them, they're pretty big dudes. 
hundred percent. And honestly, when you look back at it, and, and you know, I, I brought up a Braun Strowman. I mean, look at Hillbilly Jim. I mean, you know, Southern accent aside, and and you know, let's just say for argument's sake, he, he you know lost the accent or, or whatever. Like he could have pulled off a Braun Strowman type gimmick. That dude was big. I mean, close to a yeah. seven footer. Um, but he, he was just a good old country boy. You know, that was his gimmick. So it is intriguing. And a hundred percent, I've told the story a million times, uh, being, being, um, not only being near Mark Henry, but being near an angry Mark Henry, um, is something, oh, forget it. Jesus Christ. I mean, <laughs> yeah. dude, just, just absolutely, uh, an enormous guy, but it's interesting because like even a Mark Henry, you're right. Um, he almost used a big guy, uh, a strong man uh, type gimmick. You know, I, I, I don't even know if I, if I categorize him as using quote unquote, the giant gimmick, um, but definitely a guy taller than he looks on TV. Um, you know, we, we talk about some of the guys and when I think of all time greats, you know, it's interesting because uh, I was starting to think of, you know, all-time great big men and, and guys and, and what they've done in, in history, in the history of pro wrestling. And a guy, again, who is no longer with us, but I was, you know, thinking back to, like, Yoko Zunu. And I was like, you know, as much as the Yoko Zunu, um, uh, you know, career uh, may have been a, a little bit short, a guy who uh, um, obviously his life was way too short, um, but when you look at certain wrestlers and there's the world of pro wrestling, I, I think there's like, you know, almost like in other sports, there are compilers and then there, there, there are people that just have iconic moments. You know, there's, there's guys who in baseball, you know, guys who will stay around for like 20 years and then compile their 3000 hits. And, and, and it's just incredible stuff. But then you have guys like obviously PEDs aside, guys like Jose Canseco, that had three, like, ridiculous years, uh, you know, in his career where he was by far the greatest player in the game. And then he started to break down. And when I looked at Yokozuna, I was like, you know, when it comes to wrestling, between, like, him being the guy that kind of essentially, when it comes to the WWE, ended Hulkamania, a guy who main evented WrestleMania, a guy who... You know, Mr. Fuji challenges Hogan to come in the ring after Yokozuna defeats Bret Hart to, to go after the title. A guy who was part of the Lex Luger, the Lex Express, the body slamming on, on the Intrepid. And maybe a guy that's not readily looked at as one of the all-time great big men. But, Dave, when I look at Yokozuna, a guy who really had his fair share of iconic moments during the course of his career. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he came in. And just from sheer size alone and, and his weight, you looked at him and you were like, he's a big deal. Like, he was, like, the first, like, we, we talked about it. We talked about it in the show before about how, like, some guys come in and they shoot right up to the top of the card. And, you know, we're saying to ourselves, oh, well, you know, they shouldn't – they should start from the bottom or they should work their way up and they should really build their character and, and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, Yoko Suno was, like, the first guy that, like, came in and he worked with all the top guys, like, right away, and it made sense. Because look how big he was. I mean, he was enormous, you know. You knew whether you were – whether you were, you know, uh, an enhancement talent or you were a – someone established on the roster, if you were under that bonsai drop and he hit it, you were done. And it, it was believable because look how big he was. What human being could get up from, you know, a Yokozuna 
like, you know, bonsai drop off the second rope. Nobody could. But, I mean, the impact he had when he first came in was just immense. It was, you know, winning the Royal Rumble. When he won the Royal Rumble in 1993, I remember my father, every year for my birthday, I could have, like, one big birthday gift or whatever. And January, my birthday falls around that time. So I said, I want to order the Royal Rumble and have some friends over. And so we ordered the Royal Rumble. At that time, it was on on a Sunday afternoon. Um, that was, you know, before pay-per-view was, you know, in prime time and not that, not to toot my own horn, but I remember all my friends are picking different names. Who's going to win the Royal Rumble. Someone said Macho Man, someone said Mr. Perfect, someone said Ric Flair. And I said, Yokozuna. And everyone was like, Yokozuna, there's no way. And I said, who can beat Yokozuna? He's 500 pounds. If he sits on you, it's all over. You're done. Who's going to throw him over the top rope? I mean, just the sheer size alone is a believability, like definitely underrated. Another guy that doesn't get enough credit for what he did. He brought something different to the big man uh, moniker in wrestling. Um, moved pretty well for a guy his size. I mean, second rope, like sometimes as a kid, I'd cringe if he'd be up on the second rope thinking that that rope was going to snap. And eventually a couple of years later it did. But um, another guy that just was very, I wouldn't say menacing, but like you, you saw him on your television screen and you had no choice but to pay attention. Yeah, and, and a guy who, for the most part, I mean, had a, a relatively short career in the, in the WWF. I mean, we're, we're talking 1992 to 1996, but a guy who, like you said, skyrocketed to the top, was a guy who worked well with, with Hulk Hogan. And, and let's face it, you know, again, and this is the thing with pro wrestling that, you know, living through it is, you know, it, it's very hard to – conceptualize if you're just looking back on it and, and the idea that, that Yoko Zunu ended Hulkamania, uh, you know, was a pretty big feat at the time in, in the world of, of pro wrestling. So a guy with a, a short run in the WWE, WWF, um, but a very impactful run, a guy who had um, some, some major iconic moments. So, you know, you look at guys like Yoko Zunu, you look at guys like, obviously, Andre the Giant. Um, you know, it's interesting, Dave, because guys like, like, I look at Kane and The Undertaker, and it's intriguing to me because I definitely look at Kane as, as using that consummate big man gimmick. Taker's kind of interesting for me. Um, he is kind of a big man. Obviously, he was in the ring with Giant Gonzalez. He was a smaller guy in that matchup, but it didn't. I don't know if I look at The Undertaker as really that consummate giant kind of gimmick. I, I guess he is. Um, definitely, you know, a seven-footer, an all-time great. Um, you know, it's interesting when you look at guys' careers like a Taker and a Kane. Um, you know, different styles in the ring worked well together. Kane, just a guy, that the mark of consistency for a guy his size, a guy who does not get – nearly enough credit. You talk about a first ballot Hall of Famer. Taker's the obvious guy. Kane is also whatever first ballot Hall of Famer is. He is it. To me, Kane's the consummate professional. If I'm starting a wrestling promotion, a Kane in his prime is a guy you want on your roster, a guy who's willing to put other guys over. But if you need to put the strap on him, it makes sense for that. I'm a big Kane fan. I think Kane is like a, a, 
you know, that working man, and you don't really, you, you usually don't look at big guys as like your working man kind of guy. Um, but Kane to me is an all time great. Taker, obviously. Um, big Show is another guy, constant professional. I think the WWE has not done him any favors with the back and forth, the flippity floppity, face heel, face heel. But again, a guy with the right attitude that however you want to use me, boss, you can use me. Um, so again, three guys right there, Dave. I think, you know, guys like Kane and, and Taker go, Kane and Big Show uh, get a bit underrated. Taker, obviously, all time great, big guy. Yeah, I mean, all three. You can't argue with, with you know, what they've done for the big man slash giant persona. I mean, Big Show, well, I think what not only the baby face and heel turns that, you know, the, the flippity floppy that you mentioned, but I think what really hurt Big Show early on, um, he eventually bounced back from it and really established himself outside of it. But when he first came into WCW and they tried to, you know, associate him as Andre the Giant's son. Like, he was the second coming of Andre the Giant. They even had him wear, like, the one-strap singlet like Andre and do just about all the moves that Andre did. And that didn't really um, do any favors for his character. I remember as a kid, I didn't – I thought it was kind of cool, but at the same time, like, it – I didn't really – I bought it, but I didn't buy it. I don't know. I was like on the, you know, definitely underrated. Doesn't get enough, you know, uh, credit for what he's brought to the big man giant character. Um, you know, the, the the evolution of his character over the years has helped keep him relevant. All the different variations of his character. Same thing with Undertaker. I'm not saying Undertaker's underrated, but the evolution of his character and how he's been able to adapt in each era and evolve and, you know, change his look up and, He's, you know, he stood the test of time. I think the difference with, with Undertaker out of those two guys is that um, Undertaker really, he was kind of like, he kind of had that like Yokozuna impact for me as a kid, where when he came out on that television screen, like you definitely had to pay attention. You were like, holy cow, what is that? Like he's an Undertaker. He buries people alive. Is he dead? Or is he alive when he wrestles? I mean, he was just, he brought something so different. And then over time, he just evolved with his, with his skill set in the ring and the stuff he could do in the ring for a guy his size. I mean, he, I, I could understand why you wouldn't put him in a giant big man category, but at the same time, because of his sheer, his sheer size alone, like I think you have to, but I think because of what he's been able to do in the ring, especially not moving around like a big guy so much for the majority of his career, I could see why you, you know, are, are on the fence about his role as a giant slash big man in the business. I think, you know, with Taker, and it's interesting, again, looking back on the history of wrestling and, you know, how the evolution of entrances and, and how they're filmed and, you know, growing up in an era that didn't have the big screen, that didn't have the big ramp. And, you know, I do like one of the things that strikes me and I, I, I can't tell you what show it was or, or when it happened. Um, but there's this image in my head early on in Taker's career where they, they kind of shot him entering and it was almost like a side view. And, and I remember just, you could see like the crowd and, and the average height of everybody in the crowd. And, and then you just saw Taker above everybody. And it was, like you said, it, is he dead? Like, what is this guy? And you know, early on in his career where he really didn't speak, um, just a very imposing 
figure coming down to the ring. And it's interesting, you know, as we're talking and I'm thinking about it, it's almost like Taker's career as he evolved and as he became a, a more well-rounded character, a more well-rounded wrestler. Um, I almost feel like he used, you know, he was that consummate giant type character early on in his career. But as time went on that he, he added so much to his arsenal and um, so much, uh, so much athleticism to his game that, that over time it was almost like, is he really like the consummate big guy uh, type again, quote unquote gimmick. Um, but definitely a big guy, definitely a seven footer. You know, I, I brought him up briefly, but let's let's have a little bit of fun. You know, we we obviously our, our homage, rest in peace, uh, Vader, Kane, Big Show, The Undertaker, guys that that did the big man gimmick the way the big man gimmick should be done. And I alluded to a one giant Gonzalez who took on The Undertaker. At WrestleMania, Giant Gonzalez, part of the world-famous Undertaker WrestleMania streak. A guy, Dave, a guy that that's huge. Um, WWF puts him in this, like, ridiculous bodysuit. A guy, honestly, though, did the big man gimmick, didn't do it well. Um, all he was was a big guy. Uh Let's have some fun. Giant Gonzalez, other guys. Maybe, Dave, some guys that you thought were going to be huge that you kind of dug the gimmick, but it just didn't work out. Let's talk about some of the guys that could have, would have, should have been Giants, but it just didn't pan out. Yeah, Giant Gonzalez, he's definitely up there. Um, someone who didn't have a, I wouldn't say a passion, but his, his, wrestling wasn't his um, his, his, in his birthright, so to speak. Uh, he actually was, um, and you said, you mentioned it earlier being a, a, a Northeast, you know, WWF guy, but, you know, Giant Gonzalez originally started in WCW as Ellie Gante. He was a, an ally to Sting and the Steiner brothers and in, the, in their rival with the four horsemen. He was WCW's answer to Andre the giant, um, you know, Jim Hurd and, 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 the executives at WCW wanted to market him like that. And, you know, they couldn't, you know, sell ice to an Eskimo, as you can tell, because they're no longer a company anymore. But uh, Gonzalez originally had tried out to be, um, I think he played like pro ball in Argentina, I want to say. And eventually he was going to play for the Hawks, the Atlanta Hawks, the NBA. But I think he had some injuries. And then they said, well, let's just bring him into wrestling because we're paying him all his money. But anyhow, um, yeah, he's definitely a name at the top of that list uh, that that didn't really pan out very well um, as far as a giant goes. Uh, for me, Adam Baum in the WWF was another guy. I thought he had a really cool look. I liked the goggles and the, the, the bright colors, but um, for whatever reason, he, they just didn't for him. Another guy, Crush. Uh, when he broke away from demolition and he kind of had the, the, the baby face run. And then eventually he joined up with Mr. Fuji and Yoko Zuna. He was another guy that just didn't, you know, I thought that they had the, I thought that there were big things for him. One guy who I don't know if he fits this category, Ken, and you know, you can, you know, weigh in on this subject, but one guy who I felt, Definitely looked like a big guy. Definitely doesn't get enough credit for his contributions. But at the same time, 
he wasn't he bounced around so many times between WWF and WCW and he had disappeared so many times a guy that looks so menacing that should have been a millionaire in terms of what he was able just on his look alone as a as a big man was psycho Sid Sid vicious um I loved Sid I thought Sid was scary I thought Sid was menacing but I thought Sid was like you know to me, he was like, what I felt about Vader and WCW, I thought Sid was the baddest dude in the WWF when he went up against Hogan and eventually, you know, later in the years when he wrestled like guys like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. But I feel like because he, he, he didn't really spend a whole lot of time, his runs were very short. And I felt like if Sid had more time, like, I don't know where I put him. Do I put him in the category of like underrated big men or do I put him in the category of, he didn't do the big man gimmick very well. Where do you weigh in on that? That's interesting, man, because I, I was, you know, it's funny, the, the guys that you're mentioning. I mean, I was, when Adam Bomb came out, I was a, a huge fan. Like, I just, I, I dug the look. I dug the size. Again, you know, me as a wrestling fan, it's always those larger-than-life superheroes. And I loved Sid. I absolutely loved Sid. I loved his intensity. Um, it, it, it's been fun going back and, and, uh, enjoying and listening some of to some of Sid's uh, old promos, um, and I have half the brain you have, um, <laughs> you know. But it, you know, it's all, honestly, it's it's a really good. He's an interesting case because I, I think he's a guy who did the big man gimmick well. Um, in an era where, again, you know, people look back on it and can make fun or whatever, um, but we grew up in that era of, you know, when guys cut wrestling promos, they yelled, and sometimes they didn't make all hell of a lot of sense. See Macho Man. See Ultimate Warrior. Um, you know, he was cut from that same cloth. Uh, his promos were intriguing. Um, they grabbed your interest. There was no doubt about that. Uh, I thought he did the big man gimmick well. Um, you know, when you looked at him, big guy carved out of granite, unfortunately had that gruesome injury in WCW. In all honesty, Dave, he's a guy to me that I don't know, you know, maybe came around at at the wrong time. Uh, You know, maybe a guy, different time, different era. Uh, You know, maybe a guy who just, uh, was way too much into softball and, and, uh, you know, didn't get the right breaks. Uh, by the way, on a side note, just here right now in the Northeast, it just began to pour. The thunderstorms are coming in. So if all of a sudden I stopped talking, that means I lost power. Um, just putting that out there. Um, I don't know. He, it, it's Dave, it's a really good name to, to bring up. I, I don't know. I, I, to me, he's a guy that in my opinion, had everything, had everything. Um, perhaps though, whether it was the, the offices not getting behind him, whether it's being around uh, just at, at the wrong time period where uh, things, you know, everything in wrestling, man, you know, you could be, you'd come into a company and, and, you know, all of a sudden you fit the bill and you get a push, and, you know, if you were there five minutes uh, before or five minutes after, you missed that push. Uh, you know, look at a guy like Robbie E. who came around right when, not a big man, obviously, but a guy who came right around during the Jersey Shore craze, 
got himself a good Jersey Shore gimmick and has carved out a, a nice career in the world of pro wrestling, um, ju- using that as a jumping off point. Um, I, I tend to look at Sid as a guy that maybe it was just timing uh, as far as the business, but I, I was a fan of him, and, and I think that there's a lot he could have done. Um, but maybe it was just timing. I mean, you you said you were a big fan. I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you think it was timing? Do you think it was him? I mean, there's all those rumors about how uh, how big a softball player he was. Did he just not fully commit? I don't know. But I look at a guy who definitely was a big dude, definitely was able to do the big dude thing, carved out of granite, cut interesting promos. Um, it just didn't pan out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of both. I think timing, um, you know, I'll I'll attribute the stories I've heard about softball, but I've also heard some stuff that he was kind of his own worst enemy when it came to things. Um, And I believe he did an interview recently on uh, Sean Mooney's uh, podcast, Primetime with Sean Mooney, and he talked about how he made a very big mistake signing with WCW in the early 90s um, he kind of went back and forth with Vince, and he 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 realized he he should have went to WWF at a certain point because of the amount of money that he could have made being a part of that particular WrestleMania. I forget exactly what WrestleMania that he was referring to, but um, I think he was kind of his own worst enemy when it came to to um, what he envisioned himself as. I mean, I've heard guys in the business and in interviews say that when when Sid's name has come up, that Sid saw himself as this big, vicious monster heel. And granted, he was. He was scary. He was intimidating looking. You know, his, his, his early days in the Four Horsemen, to his tag team with Dan Spivey in the, in the Skyscrapers, to his run in the WWF, and, and you know, his, his, his time as, as Shawn Michaels' bodyguard, and then the Million Dollar Corporation. He was a big, scary, intimidating heel. And he, I, I enjoyed his run there. Kevin Nash once told a story that he had heard through, I don't know who he had heard it through, but um, when the topic of Sid came up, he had mentioned that Sid, when Hogan was leaving in 92, after that WrestleMania that he coincidentally worked with Sid, um, they wanted to give Sid the keys to the kingdom and him be the, the, the number one babyface. Vince saw babyface written all over him as this big, gargantuan baby face and Sid turned it down because he thought he could make more money as a bad guy. And then his run in, in, in 1992 didn't really pan out too much. And he eventually went back to WCW about a year later as uh, one half of the masters of the power bomb with Vader as a tag team managed by Harley race and Colonel Robert Parker. But um, yeah, I think it was a combination of, you know, him and the timing, and because I'll tell you, man, there's not to play fantasy booker, and I hate to do that, but I mean, I used to when I thought of Sid, like back in the day, like especially like during the Attitude Era, even though he wasn't around, like I thought Sid could have been a huge star in the Attitude Era, as like like I mentioned earlier with like Vader being like the big, the the the, the big bully the big henchman for Vince McMahon like I saw Sid in that role against like a Steve Austin or even the rock you know being a part of the corporation like and and, and what that could have done for him because I really enjoyed Sid's work and I just thought Sid just didn't have enough time in the in in, in the business his, his, his runs were very short they weren't you know 
um, they didn't last very long. And I think, like I said, contributions of, of softball himself and timing, I just think didn't really pan out for Sid. I'll give you another name. And here's a big man who I, I, you know, I was blown away when he made his debut, expected big things. Um, I remember when he came out and just being just blown away at just the, the sheer size of this guy really did not pan out way off base looking at this guy as, as a star. But here's a blast from the past. One, Nathan Jones. I, I just saw superstar. Could not be more wrong. Um, but when this guy came in, a guy who, you know, 6'10", 300-plus pounds, uh, a guy who just, you know, had this backstory of, of being uh, in a maximum prison um, in, I believe, Australia, uh, which was actually true. Uh, a guy who uh, committed some armed robberies beforehand was arrested, uh, spent some time in prison, got into strongman competitions, eventually got into wrestling and the WWE, had a very, 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 very short career as far as being a pro wrestler, has jumped around a bit as far as being an actor. Uh, he's, you know, if they need a big strongman and actor as in a movie, you'll see Nathan Jones there. But Dave, when I first saw this guy, I thought there was superstar written all over him. Really just did not pan out. You know, it's interesting that you bring that name up because I was listening to an episode of uh, Something to Wrestle with uh, Bruce Pritchard, and uh, his name was brought up. Uh, I forget what show they were actually chronicling. I want to say it was the WrestleMania 19 show they did a few months ago during Mania season. And Nathan's Jones, Nathan Jones' name came up, and they were all about making him a superstar. They were all about, like, you know, pairing him up with Undertaker and kind of giving him that rub a little bit and uh, – he just wasn't into he just wasn't into being a wrestler. Um, he he from what from what Bruce had chronicled didn't have much interest in wrestling, but thought he'd give it a shot. Just wasn't there athletically. He was a big big son of a bitch, but he just it, during that time in 2003 when wrestling was different, he just didn't because of his inexperience. He didn't fit in very well in terms of uh, you know captivating an audience and. Um, it just didn't really pan out for him. But, yeah, I mean, the vignettes about him being in jail, in prison, and I thought, like, oh, well, you know, this guy's going to come in. He'll be a big deal. He'll be a, a force amongst a lot of the big guys, with Kane and Undertaker and Big Show and things like that. And, you know, it, it, it didn't really seem to work out. You know, it's funny. We talk about big guys, um, and, and Bruce brought up this point regarding Nathan Jones in that same conversation. He said, if Nathan Jones debuted in – 1987-88 and had a run around the horn with Hogan, he'd have been a big star because Hogan was able to get stuff out of inexperienced big guys and make it look good. And he thinks he thought that if Nathan Jones had a run with Hogan, that Nathan Jones would have been definitely more memorable than the discussion we're having about him right now. Well, you know, it, it's an excellent point because, I mean, you know, and I'm looking him up right now. I mean, he's only 48 years old. So a guy that, you know, really had, you know, the world in front of him as far as having a big-time wrestling career um, just just didn't come to fruition. But 
I remember, again, being a wrestling fan when he came in, I just saw him as, wow, like what a specimen. This guy's got star written all over him. You know, a guy who really could have been that intimidating force, that, that consummate big guy. And I agree, like he would have been a tremendous foil uh, for Hulk Hogan. And, and, you know, it's interesting, you know, as, as you look at these big guys and you look at throughout history, and there's so many of them that, that have done it well, some that did not do it well. Um, but it's interesting, Dave, as you, as you watch the evolution of the big guys, and, and we talked a little bit about Big Show, um, you know, there's something to be said when you look back on these big guys and, like, how long Andre the Giant was, was undefeated. How, you know, we talked about Yokozuna and how, like, he skyrocketed to the top as a big guy. As, as they take these guys and, and, you know, who are these, these specimens, these big men, and, and they, they booked them in a way that they were dominant, and, and it kind of added to the physical stature that these guys had naturally. Um, I, I think when you look at a guy like Big Show and in and, and modern-day booking, sometimes some of these big guys lose a little bit of their luster because it's that 50-50 booking of you win a few, you lose a few, you win a few, you lose a few, and you don't have that, that dominant run. I, right now in the WWE, I think the closest thing we have to that consummate big man is a Braun Strowman, um, but he has been a victim of they run him up against Brock Lesnar. He's unsuccessful. Now he's the monster in the bank, uh, the money in the bank briefcase holder. Um, a guy, when you look at him, Dave, has all the, the physical attributes to be the next historic big man moving forward. And, and you just hope as time goes on that, that they book him in a right way that works for his character. Yeah. I mean, you know, in the, in the almost two years that Strowman has part on his own and become a big force on television. Um, like you said, he, he ran into Brock that one time and um, you know, he, he, he suffered a loss, but I mean, they've kind of really, they, they've, they've consistently done a good job at really keeping, keeping the, uh, the, the, the giant, or I should say big man persona and what he's able to accomplish as a big guy. They've really, I think they've done a, a pretty solid job in booking him. Um, without, you know, like you said, 50-50 booking is, is um, uh, a big thing, especially in WWE these days. But he's, I don't think he's been a victim of it too much where we could question like, oh, well, is this going to affect his rise? Because he's, he's very popular with the crowd and he's got something about him that just, like I said, we talked about it on the show. He now connects with all audiences, children and, and, and young adults, you know, or males 18 to 34. So, I don't think he's in that area yet where we could be like, oh, no, like, if they keep this up, he's going to, you know, he, he might not be one of the all-time greats. I mean, he's a big, intimidating-looking son of a bitch. And, and the good thing about big guys is is that if you were to improperly book a big guy um, in, in, in many ways, because they're so big and, and, and their presence is larger than life, you could always just kind of switch things up on a dime and, and either change their look or repackage them with a different gimmick and start all over again. I mean, case in point, it, it, but it also works the opposite way too. And I'll give you two examples. On one hand, there is Umaga, okay? Umaga was Jamal from 3-Minute Warning, okay? 
Nobody really cared about three-minute warning. Yeah, they were cool at first when they came out and they did Bischoff's dirty work, but for the most part, nobody really cared or saw them as like these big Samoans that just, you know, moved around like flyers, but they were big, intimidating dudes. But then he gets released, comes back a couple of years later. They redo his gimmick. He's now this Samoan savage, Umaga. He's like this island, you know, tree-climbing barbarian. And he's going out there and he's killing everyone. And just like that, because he's so big, it almost made you, makes you forget that, you know, he was once Jamal from Three Minute Warning. Unless you're a Mark and you're going to chant, you know, his old gimmick's name in the crowd when he's out there, then you're just fucking stupid. But it's, there, that's some ways in wrestling, because if something didn't work well, you could always just kind of switch things up. And because they're so big and physically imposing, you could almost start over again in some ways. And then there's the opposite effect. There's guys that, and there's a few of these guys that have been in the industry, big men, giants per se, that have had good runs as, as their original gimmick. And then for whatever reason, they decided to switch things up. Like, for instance, the one-man gang. The one-man gang was a, an intimidating son of a bitch with the mohawk and the tattoo on the side. But then when they turned him into Akeem the African Dream, yeah, some of that stuff was funny. But nobody took him seriously, even though he was a big son of a bitch. Earthquake. Earthquake was a monster. He, he made me cry as a kid when he sat on Hulk Hogan uh, on the Brother Love show and almost ended his career. When he, when he squashed Damien and killed Damien, Jake the Snake Snake. And then he goes to WCW, and he becomes the fucking shark. I mean, there's, <laughs> you know, like there, there's, those, there's those two ends of the spectrum here that could work for the big man and work against the big man. I agree with you. And I think you could almost look at today, you know, you know, a guy that I saw on the independence and, you know, now in the WWE, you know, a guy like Luke Harper, who, um, you know, to me has a lot of physical gifts and could could do a lot more in the ring. Um, Bludgeon brothers, you know, I, I don't know. And it's not like, they kind of repackage them, sort of, kind of. I mean, they're still almost kind of what they were already, just with uh, different outfits and goofy hammers. Um, so, you know, if you wonder, you know, if they, if they, you know, certain guys, they hit the mark and certain guys, they don't. I, I, I agree with you. I think right now with Braun Strowman, uh, they're moving in, in a good direction with them. It's just, you know, where does this end up? For me, personally, I'm not the biggest fan of of a monster type, you know, running around with the the Money in the Bank briefcase. I don't think he needs it. I think just being a monster was enough for him. We'll see how it plays out. For me, I dig the Money in the Bank thing as, you know, a sneak attack kind of thing. A guy grabbing the briefcase, running down to the ring. You know, a a guy like Braun Strowman, if he's going to cash in, it's going to be roar and meandering down to the ring um I, I like the excitement as far as that cash in that that blindsided cash in um they've been building him and building him and he is over with everybody and and to me you know you look at luke harper you look at eric rowan you look at some other big guys over the course of of time you know brock lesnar's another guy where he's this big strong guy i, I wouldn't say that he uses like the quote-unquote giant gimmick even though he's a monster, he's a beast. Um, but I think Braun Strowman is, is the closest thing, closest new guy to uh, that classic giant 
kind of character that we've had in, in, in a long time. Absolutely. He definitely is. I mean, he, he's, um, and I like how they've taken, you know, they, they've tried to use the giant or big man formula with him, but like in some ways tweak it. Like when he would do all these freakish things like lift an ambulance or he, you know, uh, you know, the, the, just the big things that he's done, like lift an ambulance, or he took the staging down one night and Brock and Kane were buried under it a few months back. But, um, you know, you bring up a good point about Braun being the money in the bank uh, briefcase holder. And I wasn't the biggest proponent of him winning this. You and I, we both picked the Miz to win the money in the bank because I thought it would, it would tell a better story. Um, however, for me personally, there's only one way that they could save, I wouldn't say save this, but that they could salvage Braun winning this. And it's not him just sneak attacking and going after the, um, the, 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 the winner and cashing in his money in the bank. It's Braun coming out next week and saying, Brock, I'm showing up to SummerSlam with this briefcase. I'm cashing in. You better be there because you're going to get these hands. And then he decisively beats him in like, I wouldn't say record time, but in a short period of time. You want to turn him into a, a, a giant or you want to really go over the top and make him a made guy amongst the, the, the giants among giants, him just basically calling out Brock and telling him he's going to cash in and then do it. I think that would definitely salvage his money in the bank win and also pretty much make him a made guy. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's the, the perfect direction to go with this. Um, but again, it's kind of, I, I agree. That's where you go. I like the sneak attack with the, that's the charm for me with the money in the bank. And I, I think Miz, just the character he has being Mr. Money in the bank would have been amazing. Um, a guy who could have used it, uh, Bobby Roode being Mr. Money in the bank, maybe tweak the character, be a little more heelish with that briefcase. Um, that to me would have worked well. Uh, I, just I don't think Braun needs it, but I agree with you. And, and it's right. You're right. It's not necessarily like rescuing uh, what happened because he's over. So Braun's over. He's, he's got the money in the bank briefcase. Um, it's working on some levels. But as a face, as a, as a fan-friendly character, a guy that just comes out and says, all right, Brock, you know, Brock's not here. And he even plays off that, you know, the absentee champion. I can't sneak attack you because I never know when the hell you're going to be here. So I'm going to be at SummerSlam. I'm cashing in that night. You better put up or shut up, period. And like you said, uh, and you're going to get these hands. Um, to me, that, that would work really well for him and uh, make him a constant big guy. And no, honestly, to me, Dave, again, building him as a, as a classic big guy. And I don't know who you run him up against. I don't. They have great chemistry in the ring. I don't know if you go the Roman Reigns route again, but I'll tell you something. If, if you have, if you run Braun Strowman against Brock and you finally have Braun be the guy that takes that title off Brock Lesnar, I have Braun keep that title at least to WrestleMania. Oh yeah, I think he should too. I mean, um, but it, by the same token, how? See, the thing with him is because he's so over. In some ways, you could say he almost doesn't need the title, but having the title would be nice. But once he gets that title, it's almost like the Daniel Bryan effect. Like, you know, the story and the climb to the top is great, but after that, defending it, where's the intrigue in that? Like, so he's going to mow through the entire roster on Raw to get to WrestleMania. Then 
what's what's the end game? You know what I mean? Like, is it is he going to turn heel and then you know someone you know tries to knock him off his perch a little bit? Is he be like going to become the new Brock Lesnar, so to speak? Um, but yeah, I mean, I would definitely give him somewhat of a significant run, but to to match him up against him, who's on Raw, like I, as a baby face. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. But I, I know that he's he's over. The audience is into him. And I think in some form or fashion, he should have a run with the Universal title, whether it's, you know, a short one or a significant one. But with everything that he's done in the last year and a half, he should at least have a run with the belt. And we go from the best of times to the worst of times. Just a footnote, I guess. We got about a minute and a half, Dave. Um, we hear about someone who potentially could have been another big man now looking for a big cast future endeavor. It looks like he may have shot himself in the foot. Um, could have been something, uh, quickly, Dave, your thoughts on big casts being shown the door. Yeah. I mean, he could have been something, but at the same time, there were so many other big guys on the roster between Braun and, you know, you got Samoa Joe and you got Corbin and, and, and even Drew McIntyre is a pretty big-sized guy that, you know, losing cast isn't really hurting them. But, unfortunately, whatever it was, whether it's his personal issues, um, just not working out, you know, maybe, you know, being away from WWE, he'll realize his full potential, and then maybe we'll give him another look someday. But he definitely had potential. He kind of reminds me of uh, what Test was, you know what I mean, early on. Uh, in the ring, solid, but needed some seasoning and some work. So we will see what happens with Big Cast down the road a piece. We'll see what happens with Braun Strowman as the monster in the bank. Where they go, they, as you can see, as we went through history, it's tough booking and building these big men. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with a guy like Braun Strowman, where they'll fit in historically as far as big men. Again, we pay tribute to one Vader passing away this week. Um, this episode was dedicated to him as we look back on the history of the big men in pro wrestling. We'll be back next week. Thank you all for tuning in tonight. For Dave, I am Ken. Good night, everybody.